This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Last week, our topic was, we looked at a, the, the physiology of PTSD. Um, in other words, you know, what's going on in your body, in your, in your brain, um, when we respond, you know, certain ways to things that have happened, adverse circumstances, trauma. And uh, we saw that, again, this is a very real problem. But it's driven by our thinking. You know, the secular folks would say that, you know, we have the biological problem from birth, and that's kind of the root cause. But we know from a biblical perspective that it's our thinking that drives the matter. But there are real physiological consequences to our thinking. And we looked at that in uh, detail last week. And so if you weren't here, and if you'd like to uh, get a copy of the notes, I've, I've got some extra up in my office, I can get them to you. But um, tonight, we are going to talk, you can see from your handout, sorry, I'm just going to get organized here for a second. We are looking tonight at the solution, the biblical solution to PTSD. And uh, we've got three more weeks after tonight, three more Wednesdays, of course we'll uh, we'll meet again next week, and then the following week we'll take another break for the revival surfaces, and then we'll have two concluding lessons. And in those remaining three lessons, starting next week, we're going to go into uh, even more detail in terms of the solution uh, and uh, what the Scripture says, how uh, God, how Scripture can help us. But tonight it's kind of like the broad brush um, synopsis of the solution. And so let's, uh, let's just jump right in, and I'm going to refer to the notes here, um, start right at the top. When individuals are diagnosed with PTSD, psychiatrists and other mental health professionals offer drugs and various forms of therapy to help quell symptoms and make life manageable. But no real or lasting hope is offered. We understand that. By contrast, those who turn to God will find limitless hope. The solution to PTSD, listen to this one, I came up with this myself, I'm kind of proud of it, three P's here. The solution to PTSD is not a pill or a program, but a person. If an individual knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they have the capacity by His Spirit to live a joy and peace-filled life no matter their circumstances or past experiences. Now remember, when considering the solution to PTSD, remember, this is important, the goal, the goal is not the eradication of all you know, unwanted memories. You know, no more bad dreams, no more flashbacks, you know, no more intrusive thoughts. You know, that's not the goal, and that's probably, in most cases, not realistic. Um, fallen human beings, we're always going to struggle, with, to some degree, with stress and its effects uh, in this sin-cursed world. But, by the grace of God, Christians can glorify their Creator 
even as they struggle through difficult circumstances. Ecclesians 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, second half of that verse, says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Those who are indwelt by God's Spirit possess the ability, by his strength, to fulfill that mandate. And as they do, and as they come to know their God better through his word, he promises to fill them with supernatural joy and peace. So that's, uh, in my thinking, that's the solution to PTSD in a nutshell. Uh, but we're going to go a bit deeper. And uh, we, could, we could start, as you, as you understand, we could start from several different you know, angles. We could have several different angles of attack here. You know, we could start from this angle or maybe over here from this passage of Scripture, or we could pick, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, passages of Scripture that come to mind that we could almost use as our, our launching pad. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a few of them tonight, and uh, a few different themes. And uh, first, let's, let's start with depression. Um, first of all, we left off with depression when we talked last week about you know, physiology of PTSD, and uh, we, we ended up talking about depression. So let's, let's start there, and uh, you see there in your notes, how to overcome depression. And in one sense, it is, it's, it's fitting, perhaps, that we, we start here, and let's look at a biblical answer to depression. And it's fitting when we're talking about PTSD because you can see there, number one, most folks who honestly, and I use that term honestly because, uh, as we've said, there are some out there who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, and there's, there's different motivations and, uh, you know, will exaggerate their symptoms, but uh, most who honestly claim to struggle with severe PTSD become depressed. I mean, if this is something that's really, if this is something that's truly, really, really, really bothering them, then they may and often do become depressed. Now, if it's, if it's not a big deal, you know, I've spoken to many, many uh, veterans and active duty folks who have claim to have PTSD, and I think in many cases they're just kind of repeating what someone else has told them. Um, and for them, you know, they, they say they have, you know, bad dreams every once in a while perhaps, or, you know, they feel uneasy at certain times of the day, but, you know, they're, they're not, they're okay otherwise. You know, it's, it's not a major problem for them. Uh, it's not really impacting their life on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and so they're not suffering from depression. But, again, if someone is honestly struggling, and if it is a real, real struggle, uh, something that is debilitating and impacting their life day in and day out, they may become, and often do, become depressed. And we talked last week, depression is a spiritual, spiritual slash physiological reality that can affect anyone. And uh, it's, it's very common. And no matter your circumstances, and I've been a little, I don't know, can you all see this? 
Can everybody see that? Kind of. Okay. I guess I won't move it. This is uh, probably the best spot for it where it is. No matter your circumstances here, I'm, I, I don't know if this is helpful or not. Um, in one sense, everybody's, anybody who suffers from depression, each case is going to be different, right? To some degree, because each person is different. You know, we're all different. Uh, our circumstances are different. But in another sense, if this, uh, you know, tell me, jump in and tell me if, if this is confusing to you. But in another, in, a, in another sense, depression is depression is depression is depression. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, the, if it all stemmed from uh, an oppressive work environment. You've got a mean, mean boss that's just hammering you every day and this is extremely stressful to you or if it's financial pressures you can't pay your bills or if it's marital strife or you have a rebellious child that's it's grieving your heart you've, uh, you've been diagnosed with cancer and it's a serious diagnosis you've lost a loved one you've been rejected somehow you've been humiliated so, somehow it doesn't really matter the circumstance depression is depression. And we talked about this last week. There are real, you know, chemical changes in your body that occur. Uh, and I'm, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, although we, we covered this last week. You know, and, and the scientists, biblical counselors, you know, s still trying to sort it all out. You know, we're feel fearfully and wonderfully made. But, uh, you know, your dopamine levels, some of those other chemicals in your brain, um, get off kilter and we actually feel depressed physically in our bodies and for those of you who have experienced it you know what I'm talking about now again just to clarify the world the secular folks will tell us that this is we were born this way and um, you know it's 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 just a purely biology it's not it, it doesn't really have so much to do with our thinking it's, it's the biology that causes the problem. Uh, we believe differently. We understand in most cases, although again, and a little caveat because, you know, as we've talked about, you know, there are situations, you know, ladies, for example, are more susceptible to this uh, than men with fluctuating hormones and, and stuff like that. Um, but in most cases, when you, when you talk to someone who's depressed, it's because uh, of their thinking. That their thinking is off track. They're thinking anxiously. They're frustrated. They're angry. Actually, we've, we've got it up here. Okay, so no matter, no matter the, uh, the problem, there's unmet expectations. There's discontentment, which leads to anxious and frustrated thinking. And the more you obsess over this problem, it ultimately leads to despair and depression. And you feel it in your body. Because your, your mind, your, your brain, and the chemicals are responding to what you've told them is going on. And this, um, and again, this is kind of review from last week. And it's in your notes again, though. Uh, if you look at number three, well, go back up to number two. We didn't talk about that. Or we didn't read that yet. Sinful depression is the result of guilt over sin, 
or from thinking that is marked by discontentment, anxiety, and or despair. Either way, number three, feelings of depression represent God's alarm system to alert us to our need to repent, you know, if we're continuing sin and we're, we're feeling guilt over our sin. Again, think of David, uh, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, or to turn our thoughts to him. Number four, when depression results from feelings of guilt over sin, repentance is the answer. In cases where depression re results from discontentment, anxiety, and despair, the solution to such hopeless thinking is God-centered, hopeful thinking. And um, we have a few verses here that we can look at that are right on point. But before we read those, let me just pause because I've been rambling here. Uh, how are we doing? Questions, comments? Is everybody following me? Again, some of this is review from last time. Any thoughts at this point? Questions? Anything I've said that sounds confusing or about depression? Okay. So what's the answer? Hello, sir. Come on in. Grab a hand out. I love Psalm 43, verse 5 here at the very bottom of, your, uh, of page 1. This, this, is, uh, this needs to be our response. Again, uh, the answer isn't to take an extended, uh, uh, to, to recline on your, the, the psychiatrist's couch. You know, he doesn't have the answer. The answer isn't found in a pill. We need to go to the Lord. I love Psalm 43, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. God must be our health. Uh, our, our problem, you know, our problem is that our hope is in things or people that will fail us, right? People, things that are ultimately untrustworthy, that cannot satisfy us, that cannot, you know, bring true fulfillment to our lives. And so, of course, our ex we're setting ourselves up for a problem if our hope is in other people, if our hope is in man or in, you know, money or whatever it is. Um, but if we hope in God, what? We will never be disappointed. God will never let us down. He is always trustworthy, and He alone can satisfy every need of our heart. So we must hope in God. Uh, turning the page, I love, you know, we've, we've probably uh, read this passage here five or six times already in this last several weeks, but uh, we'll read it again, and we'll probably uh, cover it again next, next week too. But uh, 2 Peter 1, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Where are these great and precious promises found? 
in the scriptures, right? In the word of God. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Uh, again, another, this, right on point. You know, when we're talking about depression, when we're talking about folks who are genuinely struggling with severe post-traumatic stress, what do they need? What do these people need? They need grace and peace, right? They need God's peace. They need His strength. And how do we get God's grace and peace? And of course, we need to be a believer. We all understand that here. Uh, how, is, how does a Christian who's struggling uh, receive God's grace and peace? Through the knowledge of God. By knowing our God. And that's why in the final three weeks... We're gonna, that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at knowing our God better. We're going to look at knowing our sovereign God next week. Uh, and then after the revival services, knowing our loving God and knowing our all-wise God. It's through the knowledge of God that grace and peace is multiplied to us. And how about, uh, how about the next verse here, uh, C, Psalm 1611, the latter portion of that verse, another, another verse that's, that's right on point. You know, when we're talking about depression, um, severe post-traumatic stress, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I love that verse. Uh, I mean, think about that verse and everything that, uh, that's going on there. And, uh, you talk about a solution to depression. You know, get in the presence of God. Um, makes me think sometimes that, uh, you know, Peter at the Mount, for example, you know, at the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, when Jesus was transfigured before him, uh, whatever problems that Peter had in those, you know, weeks and months prior to that event, you know, maybe he'd been arguing with his wife, Maybe there had been a little conflict with his mother-in-law. Who knows? Uh, maybe his kids were being sassy. Whatever, whatever the troubles were, I'll tell you what. When he saw the Lord Jesus transfigured before him, I tend to think he forgot about all of that stuff. And uh, this verse, you know, ultimately, ultimately this verse points forward to heaven, right, in one sense. Um, that's where we'll be able to experience full joy when we can focus on our Savior, you know, unencumbered by sin, uh, the sin that blinds us and distracts us, even as Christians at times. But to a large extent, I believe we can, we can experience this joy now uh, as we draw nigh to God, as we come into His presence daily through prayer uh, through Scripture, our times alone with the Lord, we can experience some of this joy. And uh, isn't that what we need? Isn't that what those in our world who are struggling with post-traumatic stress need? Uh, so again, I, I love that verse. Questions, comments? I'll pause here before we move on. Okay, let's move on here. How to walk in the Spirit. Okay, why am I jumping here? Well, I, like I said, we can, we can attack the, 
this, this problem, this question, you know, when we're, we're trying to look at a biblical solution to PTSD, we can come at this thing from a, a few different angles. Uh, we've been talking about the solution to depression, the biblical solution. Um, let's talk about walking in the Spirit. Uh, as we're going to see, kind of same, same basic answer, we're just coming at it from a different angle. We just spoke of peace and joy, right? And uh, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1 at the top of page 2 there. We looked at Psalm 16:11. We're talking about peace and joy. Those are both what? Where, where do we see those? Fruits of the Spirit, right? Peace and joy are both fruits of the Spirit. If you look up you know, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, uh, we will notice that those are both fruits of the Spirit. So how do we possess, how do we, how do we uh, possess those fruits in our lives? Well, by, by walking in the Spirit, right? Christians who strive to walk in the Spirit will experience the Spirit's fruit in their lives. Uh, this fruit includes the love and gentleness to forgive, the peace to trust and hope in God, and the joy to praise and glorify God despite the trials of life. Now, what does it mean, though, to walk in the Spirit? We, we hear this phrase a lot. We, we hear the passage read when we read Galatians 5. But what does it mean, actually, to walk in the Spirit? Well, perhaps we could sum it up this way. To walk in the Spirit involves continual surrender to the will of the Spirit. It is to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, I believe, and if somebody, you know, especially Pastor Asher, ha if uh, have a different take on this, please jump in and, and help me out. But uh, I believe this is akin to being filled with the Spirit in uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. Uh, we need to be yielded to the Spirit. It's not that we need more of the Spirit, right? You know, when we were born again as a child of God, we received the Holy Spirit. We didn't receive half of them or a... 25% of them, we receive the Spirit of God. The problem is, the Spirit doesn't have all of me, right? He doesn't have all of me all the time. So I need to be continually yielding myself, surrendering myself to the Spirit. I need to be walking in the Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit. But again, what does that mean, practically? What do I need to do in order to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? Well, again, here's another question we could answer it from, I think, uh, several different angles. We could go to several, several different Bible passages. But you know what? I like, notice this, and you can see in your notes, I say compare Ephesians 5, 18, and 19 with Colossians 3, 16. And uh, I put it on the whiteboard here. And uh, maybe I'm making more of this than I should, but uh, this is something I noticed a few years back when I was just, you know, reading through the New Testament and thinking about these things. And I'm sure I'm not the first one that's ever thought of this. But um, notice, and I didn't, I didn't write out all the passages. But if you look, if you look uh, in your Bible at these two passages. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and then Colossians 3, 16, and even into verse 17, we see that these two passages are very, very similar. I mean, in one sense, I mean, they're almost identical. 
uh, even beyond what I've written up here. In that sense, they're kind of like parallel passages. Notice, you know, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody, I think the verse continues, right? Making melody in your hearts to the Lord, being thankful. Same thing in Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The passage goes on to talk about being thankful. But notice what comes first in Ephesians 5.18. It says, it refers to being filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3.16, instead, what does it say? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In my mind, when I like to think about, okay, what does it actually mean to be filled with the Spirit? Or, if I was in Galatians 5, to walk in the Spirit. In my mind, I sum it up this way. It means to let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. It means I need to be saturating my mind and heart in the Scriptures and doing my best by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit's power to obey. But I need, I need the Word of God. It's about letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Does that make sense? Any thoughts, comments, objections? So, again, maybe... Uh, same basic answer, just coming from a different angle. Let's look at it again. Let's, let's a, a, third, uh, a third angle of attack. How do we grow as a Christian? How do we mature as a Christian? If you were explaining this to your, if your, uh, you know, your child or your grandchild were to ask you, hey dad or hey mom, hey grandma, grandpa, um, I, I want to grow in the Lord. You know, I want to mature in the Lord. What do I need to do? You know, I mean, how, how do I grow? You know, <laughs> how does it work? And uh, again, we could uh, look at a hundred different passages. And of course, we need to, you know, there, there are several components. You know, we'd want to talk about prayer. And we'd want to talk about the importance of our, our local church. And the, uh, the iron sharpening iron and, and provoking one another to love and good works. But in my mind anyway, and maybe you disagree, but number one at the top of my list is going to be what? We need the Word of God. We need the Scriptures. And I think uh, Scripture itself bears this out. Let, let's take a look here. Christians who desire to mature and grow in Christ must continually saturate their minds with Scripture. And you see a bunch of references there that uh, support this assertion. And uh, a few of them here I've, I've put on your worksheet. Uh, how about John 17, 17? Take a look at that verse. This is Jesus speaking, praying to the Father. Sanctify them through thy truth. Okay, so we're sanctified by the truth... What is the truth? Thy word is truth. 
So connecting the dots there, we are sanctified by what? The truth of the word of God. We're sanctified by the word of God. How about uh, Acts 20, verse, uh, verse 32, the first part of that verse. And now, brethren, this is Paul speaking. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. How are we built up in our faith? And I think of a similar passage in the book of Jude. But how are we built up in our, in our faith? It's by the word of his grace. And then how about uh, C, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. This, is, this is perhaps the clearest um, and most directly on point of all of these verses. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So how do we grow? How does a baby grow? Let's just back up. How does a baby, uh, an infant, grow? I mean, they start off being about that that's big, right? And, uh, and, and we grow. How do we grow? Well, through our, through, first through mom's milk, right? How do Christians grow? What does this verse tell us? The sincere, or that word means pure. The pure milk of the word. The pure milk of the word. That's what grows us. It's scripture. It's the Bible. It's the word of God that grows us. And isn't this the answer? Again, going back to our question here. We're talking tonight about a solution to PTSD. Those, uh, those of us who have struggled, who are struggling, those in our world who uh, are wrestling with, all, with, with the past, with present circumstances uh, that are weighing them down, causing them to be anxious, afraid, frustrated, discontent. Uh, you know, what is the answer? Well, again, we've answered it from a few different angles already, but... Uh, one answer is we need, well, first you need to be saved. You need to be a believer. But we need to grow and mature in our faith. Uh, this is, it's, it's discipleship, right? Basic discipleship. Um, and I love what uh, pro progressive sanctification. I like what Dr. Jim Berg, you notice I quote him a lot. Um, I like what he says. This is part of his... Uh, you know, Freedom That Lasts program that he, he runs. It's an addictions ministry. But uh, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us more like the Son of God for the glory of God. So again, it's God's Word. It's Scripture. That's the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to grow and mature us. And of course, as we grow and mature, we will possess those fruits of the Spirit that love and joy and gentleness and peace that will enable us to persevere and even grow and thrive even amidst the storms and troubles of life. Right? Does this make sense? Okay. Um, hey, so let's just pause for a second. Looking back here, you know, we've had these three headings, you know, how to mature as a Christian, how to walk in the Spirit, uh, on the first page there, how to overcome depression. What's been the common denominator in all of these, all three of them? Word of God. The Word of God. Yeah, 
the Word of God is the answer. Yes, sir. Can I just share my favorite passage on that relates to that? Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. For yeah. everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the Word of Righteousness, colon, for he is a babe. Mm. And then it goes on to say, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even though who even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm. And you get that discernment for yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. Hebrews five, thirteen and fourteen, is that what you said, yes, brother? Yeah. Yep. Very good. Yes, ma'am. One of the favorite songs in the two-year-olds, the five-year-olds, <laughs> read your Bible, pray every day. Yeah. Um, neglect your Bible, and you yeah. shrink, and then you pray, and you grow. So yeah. No, that's good. That's right on point here when we're talking about, yeah, how to mature as a Christian. Read your Bible. I remember that song. We sang that, too. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. Everybody sing that one when you were younger? Anybody? Everybody? Yeah, that was uh, one of the classics. That's good. Uh, what's that? I'm not going to do it, but you might, brother. I, I don't. They get scared and run out the door if I were singing. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, you know, we could uh, we could come at this thing from different angles. I thought of another heading. You know, we could we could say you know, how to abide in Christ. And we could look at John 15. And uh, I think, you know, we, we could do the same thing that we've already done. But uh, let, let's move on. Let's turn the page. Page 3 here. We're on track to finish again. Two weeks in a row. How about this? Th this is important too. And this is maybe just a little different. Um, not much. Uh, again, common denominator is, is still scripture here. But uh, it's also important when we are suffering or if we're helping someone who is suffering or has suffered, who's struggling with trauma, who's struggling with any of those or other problems, which again, it all leads to the same place. If, you don't, if we don't keep our focus on the Lord, um, it all ends in the same in the same pit. It helps to have a biblical theology of suffering, uh, essential. And uh, let me let me just read here the notes, just so I don't forget anything that may be important. Um, several biblical counselors have commented that if severe PTSD is a disorder, it's really an interpretive one. Okay, remember we made that point early on in the first couple weeks. It's an interpretive problem. Uh, as most people fail to interpret their circumstances through the lens of God's word. That's the problem. Uh, people focus on their circumstances and God is not in the picture. And so of course they're, of course they're going to end up right down here. It is essential, therefore, that we have a biblical theology of suffering. Uh, to endure trauma in a manner that pleases God, Christians must have a proper, i.e. biblical, theology of suffering. 
Scripture reveals the following about suffering in this sin-cursed world. And this is something that I've put together, and uh, I still, uh, still kind of want to tinker with it. And uh, if you have ideas or tips, if you can think of I've got five points here. And if you think I need a sixth point and a seventh point, please, please let me know. Like I said from the beginning, I appreciate input. But uh, I boiled it down here um, to five points as it relates to suffering. What does the Bible, what does the Word of God reveal about suffering uh, in this sin-cursed world? Well, first of all, uh, God promises suffering, right, doesn't he? And you know, a lot of people, a lot of folks, even uh, Christians or uh, some of them maybe not genuine Christians, but maybe professing Christians, but maybe some even genuine believers get into trouble because they are following, they believe uh, an errant or aberrant theology which says what? Which says that, you know, if you... Um, do this and that, or if you'll give enough money to my ministry, you know, to uh, think about some of these guys, some of these charlatans that uh, we've heard of through the years, um, then you'll avoid, you know, God will protect you from um, major catastrophe. It will all, it'll all be health and wealth and prosperity for you. You know, think of the, the prosperity gospel that's out there. This is this is so dangerous uh, for a number of reasons, but just in our context here, can you imagine someone who believes that they're not going to suffer and then all of a sudden they get smacked with a you know, terminal cancer diagnosis? And not only do they have to wrestle with, with their cancer diagnosis and everything that goes with that, but now they've got a, their whole world, uh, their spiritual foundation is shaken because they've they thought that God was going to protect them um, from this kind of thing. And uh, so just a, a devastating and dangerous, uh, you know, teaching, uh, false teaching that's out there. Uh, by contrast, as Christians, we should, we should expect to suffer, right? And uh, I was trying to keep this, uh, this whole worksheet, I was trying to keep it to three pages. Uh, but I was tempted to reproduce here several of the passages that I cite there. I've got maybe four of them listed. And, I, and there's, there's many, many, many more that uh, we could list. But uh, think of that first one, John 16, 33. Jesus says there, in this world, and I'm paraphrasing, forgive me, I don't have it uh, memorized verbatim, but uh, in this, actually, maybe I've got it at the bottom. Yeah, I do. In this world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But notice the first part of that. In this world ye shall have tribulation. And again, there are many other scripture passages we could cite. Um, we should expect to suffer in this world. Uh, and we could, say, we could say a lot more about that. Um, but for sake of time, since we've only got ten minutes left, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, Although, let me pause. Questions, comments? Okay. So not only should we expect to suffer, and you know, it's interesting, on and, and one hand, someone who's maybe a new Christian who's, I don't know, I could put myself, I could almost put myself in a new believer's shoes who is thinking, okay, so God, uh, God, pro God promises 
suffering? What is he? Is he a cold? Is he cold and indifferent? Uh, is he? Is he vengeful? Why? Why is he telling us that we are going to suffer? Uh, well, re- remember this. Uh, let it be there. God understands our suffering, uh, and who. Who suffered more than any other person who's ever lived? The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he experienced uh, on the cross, and not not the physical, not just the physical torment, but the spiritual anguish when the, the wrath of God, when all of the sins of mankind were laid upon him, and he bore the wrath of Almighty God, an eternity's worth of wrath Jesus experienced on the cross, Uh, surely he suffered more than any other human who's ever lived or will live. So Jesus, he understands. And not only does he understand, but he sympathizes and he reaches out to us uh, in our suffering. Uh, He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Uh, the scripture says he understands our weaknesses and uh, and he is uh, he ever lives to make intercession before us. He is continually before the right hand of the throne of God, continually making intercession for you and me. Uh, the spirit, uh, Romans 8, helps us uh, in our infirmities. Uh, so praise God. Uh, he understands uh, our suffering. Um, God also controls our suffering. And I'm not going to say much here because we're going to talk about this next week. Uh, we'll spend all next Wednesday talking about this point. You know, as we, we talk about knowing our sovereign God who is in absolute control of everything that happens to us. Not only does He control our suffering, but He uses and redeems our suffering for His good purposes, for His glory and for our good to make us more and more into the image of Christ and to do several other things that we'll talk about. We're going to talk about this uh, on our final Wednesday night. This will be uh, week 10. We're going to talk about God's purposes in trials. All of the wonderful things uh, that scripture, scripture indicates that God wants to do through our trials, through the hardships that we experience. And then finally... God rewards our suffering. You know, I believe that heaven will be sweeter. Uh, Heaven will be all that much sweeter because of the difficulties, the trials that we experience here on earth. And again, we're uh, we're running out of time. I want to leave at least a couple minutes for uh, comments at the end. So let me just press through here to the the finish line. Um, in John 16.33, Jesus says to his followers, In this world, excuse me, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise God, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he has overcome the world. And our joy, you know, we can be overcomers too uh, if we abide in him. And our joy can be full even amid the storms of life, as we abide in Him, as we abide in Christ. And so, uh, again, so helpful uh, to have a proper uh, theology of suffering. 
And uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about that in, uh, in the next uh, few weeks. But uh, wrapping it up, as stated above, recovery from PTSD does not require the eradication of all unwanted memories or intrusive thoughts. Uh, that's generally an unrealistic goal. Uh, further, it does not represent the solution to our problems. Nor does recovery require a drug prescription or regular visits to a psychiatrist's couch. Such secular solutions do not provide real, lasting hope. Instead, as Dr. Jim Berg has stated, God's recovery program is progressive sanctification. And uh, I borrow again, here's, here's, I'm quoting Dr. Berg again, but uh, and he was, in, in context, he was referring to, uh, he was speaking in the, in the context of uh, a drug addiction, but it applies here just as well. Um, God's recovery program is our progressive sanctification. We need uh, to know our God better. We need to grow through his word. And, uh, and as we grow in the Lord, by knowing him better through his word, God promises not only to help us honor and obey him, but to fill us with his joy and peace as well. Make sense? Thoughts? Amen. Questions? We got three minutes. I finished. This is the first time I've finished early. <laughs> so we got to have three, at least three minutes of discussion or questions. I think that because, you know, this last topic, suffering, right? If you look at that in context of the messages that we had over the last, you know, few weeks, um, it's this God refining fire, right? Yeah. And, and how an individual that interprets um, that suffering, yielding to the, yielding to, to the Lord, right, as, as they're going through it. And then, uh, you know, just, you know, how that may or may not, you know, be a light to somebody else that's going through it. And I, I think of, you know, Ryan Foltz and his message to uh, the men at the prayer breakfast when he lost his brother. Counted all joy, right? And, and he gave us that message, and you could tell he was vexed in his spirit with the, with the suffering that he was going through and the loss of his brother. But that message that he provided in that moment right, as he was going through it, really was a blessing to us who may have gone, been going through other things at the time. Yeah. Unbeknownst to, to, to him, but it's just that concept and that idea um, that I think is very, very powerful here when we, when we look at what God's trying to do in our own lives. Yeah. Suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> Second Corinthians 1, you know, you just alluded to it. You know, one of the reasons that we suffer is so that we can help those That's right. who are suffering now with the comfort that God, the same comfort that he comforted us. So, no, very good. Other thoughts, comments? We still have one minute. You know, um, you're going to say something, brother? Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I, to me, I, I'll, I'll talk more. I'll, I'll say this again in a few weeks, but uh, yeah, I think uh, 
this uh, understanding biblical theology of suffering is so important. Um, you know, we should expect to suffer. We know that God understands, empathizes with us. He's praying for us. We can run to Him. He invites us to, to run to Him in our pain. But then knowing that God is sovereign and that He's in control of everything that happens, wow, how comforting. And then to understand, I, again, I'll, I'll share this story. Remind me, I, I won't forget, but I'll share this story. I guess it'll be week 10 when we talk about God's purposes in trials including, you know, 2 Corinthians 1, and uh, there are many others. But uh, when I was going through my, uh, the greatest trial of my life, the, the darkest period in my life, um, the sovereignty of God was, became so helpful to me. But then beyond that, once I learned from Scripture what God wanted to do through my suffering, in other words, his purposes and trials, including, you know, 2 Corinthians 1, which you alluded to, and, and, and others. To me, that was, that was just tremendously encouraging as I began to think, wow, you know, maybe God is allowing this to happen to me to do this and to accomplish that. And so that maybe he'll use me to do this and that. And uh, that was just the most encouraging thing in the world. Um, and so, praise the Lord. Praise God for His Word. Praise God for the hope that we have uh, in Him and in His Word. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.